Hello and welcome to another episode of Sexual Confidence on Tap with Shannon Etheridge and friends. And I have a new friend to introduce you all today. Janet Berkey has been a member of my BLAST mentorship program for several years now. So I have gotten to watch her blossom, but she started her blossoming process way before she ever came into the BLAST program with the work that she does in the counseling field. So Janet, tell us a little bit about who you are and the type of work you've been doing and why you decided to jump into the BLAST program in the first place. Let's just give a, a quick uh, unapologetic plug for the BLAST program so that people will know what the heck it is. Absolutely, the BLAST program and um, being a part of that, as you mentioned, I am a therapist and uh, do some coaching along with that, but I, I'm also a speaker. So I speak to women's groups and including some men in there or mixed groups, whatever that looks like um, for the need of the moment. But I also teach primarily online. I'm a professor at Eastern New Mexico University and I, I spend my days recording and with on Zoom with students and faculty. So anything that in, can increase our visibility, can increase our confidence and our skill levels is exactly what we want when we're in those places. And that's what the BLAST program offers. And one of the things I love about it is because we can go at our own pace. We all have deadlines, right? We were just talking about life uh, coming down on us right before we got started on the podcast, so many things going on. But not only do we have the program, but we have that ongoing community on Facebook that, you know, I don't think I have ever seen an unkind word or statement or um, probably anything else that could even be misinterpreted, but it's all encouragement mm -hmm. and even processing through questions and problems and situations. So I cannot highly recommend it enough um, if you are into any kind of speaking or again even teaching online you want to increase those skills and your confidence level give shannon a holler and get enrolled quit wasting time absolutely so this is not just for counselors or therapists we have pastors we have professional um uh trainers you know like uh bodybuilders you know like people who help others with like online exercise we have business consultants we have all kinds of coaches uh with coaches out the wazoo don't we um, it's just a really wonderful community who want to learn how to better use writing and speaking and leadership and marketing to advance the mission that they feel like has been entrusted to them. So you can learn more by going to shannonethridge.com and clicking on the mentoring link. So thank you for that shameless plug that we now got out of the way. <laughs> so Janet, tell us why you ever jumped into the BLAST program in the first place, the work that you've been doing and the passion that's led you to do a lot of research on this particular topic that we're going to be on today, which is empathy in marriage. Yeah. Um, again, wanting to increase that skill level and, and loving the supportive community. Um, as a university professor in counseling, we all have those little things that just kind of hit us and we think oh we'd like to explore this so much more and so a couple of the things that i have been working on the last few years are things such as boundaries 
um, which is a thing um, oh, so many people have trouble with, men and women both. And uh, our GA at, at school, she calls me the boundary queen. And I wish I could live up to that, but, but I can't. Um, I'm still working on it myself, a work in progress. And my dissertation was on empathy. So that has gotten me interested in that, in the counseling community. How else can we use that with people? And, you know, at this particular moment, talking about how we can use it in our marriages and as your podcast is or is named to increase that sexual confidence that we have in our marriage, which is so important. Yes. So let's start at the very basic of levels with this conversation, because I'm going to be honest, I don't think that I ever heard the word empathy until I was a full grown adult. I don't remember any high school uh, or you know early college classes that ever even mentioned that word empathy until I started working on a master's in counseling and not very many adults have a master's in counseling or even take a counseling course for that matter. So define empathy for us. What, what does it mean? What does that even look like? Yeah, empathy is being able to accurately gauge the feelings or emotions of another person. Mm. And note that it doesn't mean that we actually have to understand that or feel it ourselves, but we can identify with that. When someone tells me they're in pain or tells me, you know, I, I was embarrassed in this situation. I don't have to understand why they were embarrassed. I, I don't even have to think they, yeah, you should be embarrassed in that situation. All I have to do is understand there was embarrassment and I know how embarrassment feels. So that's really as simple as that piece of it is. And I remember learning that concept about you don't have to experience what the other person has experienced to be able to empathize. I remember learning about that um, through my coursework. And when I learned the concept of, okay, let's say that you're a counselor or a friend who's just listening to someone unpack their sexual abuse as a very young child. You do not have to have been sexually abused as a very young child to be able to imagine the fear, the confusion, the anger, because we've all felt fear, confusion, and anger for some reason or another in our lives. And so looking for the emotion that they may be feeling, that that's what you can reflect and, and understand and empathize toward, not the situation, but the emotions. How does this apply to marriage? Yeah, when when we think about that, you know, and it, you raise some really good points um, about different types of abuse that other, or, you know, some of your listeners have gone through, um, and and people that we are married to possibly they bring all of those things into the marriage relationship, and so we we often think, oh, if I could just find someone who understands me and, you know, who's been through what I've been through. The truth is just because someone's been through what you've been through doesn't mean that they're equipped to help you or that they can truly understand that. And you and I could be sitting in the same room and watch the same thing or have it happen to us and respond differently based on a host of different things. And so as we think about that in marriage, we can begin to pay attention and listen to our partner and realize we don't have to have all the answers. We don't even really have to identify with the situation. But when they say this was hard, we can think, yeah, 
I, I, I get a hard situation. I can put myself in that place and begin to establish that connection. Yeah. And when we're able to do that, you know, that just leads to better communication in all areas of our lives. I think that as a woman, it makes us feel safe when we feel as if our partner can show that empathy. And, and I think that whenever a woman does open up and want to talk, because that's that's a woman's favorite foreplay activity right there, T-A-L-K, uh, when she wants to talk, she doesn't need him to roll his eyes or belittle her or say, well, I've ne- that's never happened to me, so I don't know what to tell you. Those can just really shut a woman down really fast and make her feel so unsafe. But what are some of the ways that well, and, and I hate to make this stereotypical, but so oftentimes it is the woman wanting to bear her soul and open up and talk. And, and it's often the man who's not been culturally conditioned to have those deeper level of emotional conversations. So what advice do you have for couples to help them create that empathy that I think that we all crave, whether we're male or female, I think we all crave to at least feel somewhat understood. Right. Right. And um, one good thing for men is because, again, stereotypically, uh, men's emotions and feelings at at least until um, recently have not really began to be looked at and honored and respected. So they haven't had the opportunity in many cases to be able to explore that. So the good thing is they don't have to understand all of that. The biggest thing is just to listen. Mm -hmm. And sometimes we can just sit there and be quiet and we don't have to say much at all. So when we listen, we can then begin to validate that because there are things that are going to come up in that conversation. Um, Probably again, if you're dealing with listening to most women talk, they're going to say, well, it made me feel like this. And then I felt like this and I wanted to do that. And just begin to validate that and and begin to say, you know, I I can get that. I don't have to completely understand it, but I can get how you feel. I can get that you were angry or you were upset, even if I don't think you should have been. Um, Those are are two different things. So, you know, that's one of the things. Um, One of the things I love, uh, John Gottman gives an illustration. And John Gottman, is, as you know, is one of the world's premier relationship experts on marriage and romantic relationships. And he talks about the concept of birds in a tree. And he said, you know, if you've got a bird up on the top branches and then you have a bird down here and in bird language, they're talking to each other and the top bird says, oh, I see this, you know, and this is happening and goes on and on. And the bird on the bottom branch says, well, no, that's not happening. I don't see that at all. There's um, basically saying you're not seeing what you think you're seeing. (laughs) And then finally, the bird on the higher branch says, come on up, come on up and see things from my perspective. And when you get up there, you can begin to look around and say, I see that now. I get that. So one of the most important things we can do is to make that climb to our partner's branch Mm. and to be able to see things from their perspective. I so love that analogy. I have goosebumps. Talk to me about nonverbals, about body language that communicates empathy, that even if he or she, let's not be stereotypical about it, because sometimes women have a hard time knowing 
what to say in response to what their husband is unpacking. Maybe that's frustrations at work and she's a stay at home mom and she just has no clue how to really empathize and identify. But what are some nonverbals that they can offer in place of thinking of the right things to say? One thing is putting this down. <laughs> that would be a telephone for those who are listening on audio. <laughs> a cell phone. Yep. <laughs> so put your cell phones down as I have mine right beside me to quickly turn it off. Um, if it buzzes. One of the things my husband and I do, and, and I'm not saying we have it all together in this area. No one does. But even though our children are grown and they have their own families, we still make time, I would say nine out of 10 nights to sit in our dining room mm -hmm. and we talk and we just spend the time. And you know what? The truth is sometimes those conversations are very quick. Sometimes we just don't have a whole lot to say for a, a, a host of reasons. And sometimes the conversation lingers long after dinner. So that nonverbal of, you know, just using a regular plate, maybe a placemat, and to say, this is a special time for us. I'm here. And we can do that with children. Mm -hmm. Yes, I, I'm here. If you if you need me when you're ready, I am here. And And then you can begin to have that conversation. And if those conversations are hard, Get a deck of conversation starters because those can lead to fabulous conversations. I love those cards. Um, other, yeah, other things we do. Um, it, we can watch TV together. Now, I'm usually reading a book or, again, scrolling or doing something like that. But just there and reaching out and touching that person. Mm -hmm. It's amazing what just a pat, a caress, a non-sexual touch, please. You know, like start with the non-sexual before you move to the sexual, because it can be very jarring to women, especially those who have had sexual abuse in their past, to feel as if he's reaching out and groping her out of nowhere. Whereas a caress, a touch, a massage without expectations of it advancing sexually can really help a woman relax and feel connected. And then maybe she'll make the first sexual move. Um, but also, I think even just leaning in. Like I noticed that you did it earlier in the camera that when I pitched a question to you and you leaned in and you made eye contact and you smiled, I think that that alone communicates I'm here with you right now and you have my full attention. And I think that we are living in a day and age of attention deficit in our relationships. And you're right. The, the cell phone, the TV, the computer, the kids. The job, the domestic responsibilities, there's so many things pulling us away from that stance. So to be intentional to create it, I love the idea of putting placemats and, and having mealtime be that time where you look at each other face to face. And you mentioned just television watching time. I also really like it when Charlie says, you know, if, if I tell him that something's really bothering me, he might say, well, do you want to go for a drive and talk about it? It's amazing how just getting in a car and a change of scenery and just feel, you know, you kind of feel like you're a teenager again, going to Sonic for a, a slushy, you know, at, at seven o'clock at night or whatever. It just communicates, I'm here for you and I'm listening. What, you know, what, what do you need to say? And I, I do love the fact that you don't have to know what that experience is like for to imagine what that person is feeling let's camp out on that some more 
I understand that there's a part of the brain behind the right ear that is responsible for empathy and emotional connection. And some people are challenged in that area because their brain isn't fully developed. Um, what are some ways that someone who may feel as if they're empathetically challenged, either because of their brain wiring or because they were raised in a, in a family that there just wasn't a lot of deep conversation, there wasn't a lot of feelings, there, there wasn't a lot of empathy uh, opportunities? How do you teach someone these skills? Empathy can be taught. And that was one of the things that was really surprising that I learned in my dissertation is that you can actually teach these skills because again, that we have something that's called affective or emotional empathy, and we have cognitive or thinking empathy. And we can default to that or go to that cognitive empathy and learn the skills. Again, the conversational skills, um, it, starting with how was your day? Now, I'm going to tell you, that's a very vanilla question, right? I was going to say, know, it's just so easy to put that question out there and for somebody to say, fine, <laughs> it was fine, same old. This is when we begin to listen because our conversation every day, um, I usually get home before my husband. So I start dinner and he comes in through the garage in the pantry. And usually one of us says, how was your day? And if I ask that question, the answer is always what? Fine. Fine. It was fun. <laughs> but because I've been married to John Berkey for 39 years, almost 39 years. Congratulations. I know when fine is fun. And thank you. And when fine is, oh, it's fine. Or when fine is, oh my gosh, I just want to go to bed and be done with the day. So I'm listening. I'm paying attention to body language, the nonverbals. I'm listening tone. to um, his tone. I'm watching his face. Um, you know, I, I'm watching and listening if he says fine and then walks, it, it, you know, it was fine or just goes on about his business. So I'm paying attention, um, just, just watching all of those things. And by knowing my partner, I know when fine is fine and when fine is not fine at all. Mm. And so because of that, then I can say, okay, what happened? <laughs> And then, you know, we begin having that conversation. Mm -hmm. um, if you, you can learn some key phrases instead of things such as, um, well, you know, how can you feel like that? Or, and I don't understand how you can feel like that. You should not feel that way. Instead, we can say, yeah, I get that. That must've been really hard. Mm. Um, sometimes I'll tell people, well, there's no wonder you feel that way. You Which know, is if such I a different message than, well, why should you feel that way? I think that that's one of the worst things that can happen to you in a conversation when you're trying to bear your soul and tell someone how something made you feel and that they come back defending the other person that they don't even know. And it's like, why are you challenging me on this? And yeah, the notion that feelings are not right or wrong, they just are. So why would we judge another person for their feelings about an experience? Like you said, we're going to have very different emotional responses to the same event. 
So just acknowledging that this person is different and they have their own lens that they look through and this is how they feel. For those of you who have never seen one of these color charts, sorry that there's such a bad reflection, getting one of these color charts from feelingsunlimited.com is one of the best things that you can do because it's divided in such a way that the negative feelings are on top, fear, anger, and sadness, and the positive feelings are on bottom, happy, free, and safe. And just identifying what the person is telling you that they feel is a good mental exercise for you. And then to imagine, how can I help them feel the opposite? So if they're feeling bewildered, how can I help them feel understood? If they are feeling irritated, how can I help them feel content? Challenging yourself to really go on the emotional journey with them as their travel partner. It can work magic. And I think that for the for the couple who are struggling with why they haven't been connecting sexually, why they can't seem to get on the same sexual page, why one seems to be doing all the pursuing and the other seems to be doing all the running. Do you think, Janet, that oftentimes there's an empathy problem at the root of that dynamic? I would have no doubt that there is. And you were freezing up during some of that, um, but I think your viewers are able to see that color wheel and that emotion wheel. I, I do think that, and, and you talked about earlier in the conversation uh, about people growing up in homes where emotions are not validated, they're not acknowledged. Um, people don't ask them, well, how did that affect you? How do you feel about that? So a lot of people aren't used to even examining that and processing it. And then if, if, if we come into marriage like that or with that background, that family of origin, and then we marry a partner who asks us things like, well, I, I don't get that at all. How can you feel that? You shouldn't feel like that. That adds shame and blame to the relationship. And while someone may not be able to acknowledge that they feel anything other than good or bad, happy or sad, they feel shame and blame when they hear those types of statements and gets defensive. And it, your whole podcast is about increasing that intimacy and the satisfaction in the sexual area. And let me tell you that shame and blame and defensiveness aren't going to do the trick for that. Not good <laughs> aphrodisiacs at all. Forgot. No. No. Yeah. Um, trust equals lust. And a lack of empathy means I can't trust you with my feelings. If I can't trust you with my heart, why in the world would I trust you with my body? Is That's the unspoken process that's going on in that person's head, right? No, just beginning to learn some basic skills, because again, they can be taught, they can be learned. So we don't have any excuse for not learning some of those things. And even letting the other person know you know, this isn't my first language here. I'm, I'm going to have to work at it and learn it, but I love you and I want this to work and I want us to be satisfied in all areas of our marriage relationship. So if you'll help me, I'm willing to go there and I'm willing to try. Yeah. I think that one of the things that I often challenge women to consider is that she can have so much patience with her little children, with their emotional ups and downs and roller coaster rides and tantrums and meltdowns and all that sort of thing. But so oftentimes she looks at her husband as if he should be a stone wall. Uh, and we have to remember that he is a hurting little boy trapped in a grown man's body, the same way that we are hurting little girls trapped in a grown woman's body. And so to connect with that 
hurting inner child could be a great way to look at how do I want to have this conversation with this man to where I can show him the same kind of empathy that I would naturally show one of my children. I know that when, um, when phrases like baby girl, you know, like we, 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 that, that appeals to all of us when our husbands are nurturing and will offer to scoop us up and hold us like a baby or rock us in his recliner in his lap or something like there is something very, very comforting about that. And it doesn't even have to have magical words affiliated with it. It's the action itself. Mm -hmm. Because I think that we associate those actions being held, being snuggled, being rocked. I think that we automatically associate that with the empathy that we received as children because those actions were comforting. I don't think that we ever outgrow our need or our desire for those types of, of interactions. Um, also, what came to my mind is... Um, I think that oftentimes we are raised in households where feelings are not encouraged and the three in particular, fear, anger, and sadness. I know that this is so oftentimes what I lead into my workshops with is that in, in their own family of origin, they were often told things like stop being a scaredy cat, stop being a fraidy baby. They were belittled if they felt fear. They were told Go to your room until you get a civil tongue in your head and do not come out until you calm down. They were told anger is not allowed. And then with sadness, it was, you better stop that crying or I'm going to give you something to cry about. We were, that that just sounds like a terroristic threat right there. So we, I think that oftentimes we were culturally conditioned to not feel the freedom to share our emotions. And so perhaps you're not getting the empathy that you need and desire in your relationship because you haven't found the courage to open up and be vulnerable. What role does vulnerability play in this empathy dance? It plays a lot. <laughs> Again, it may come in stages and we have to get there for people who aren't used to that. And, and one of the things that, um, that people who have not been reared in homes and in families of origin that, again, acknowledge and explore feelings, a lot of times when you ask them, well, what do you think about that? Or how do, how do you feel about that? And their answer is, is something like, what do you mean? I, I just, I, I don't know. And that phrase, I don't know, can mean a couple of different things. First of all, it may mean, I don't know, leave me alone, I don't wanna talk about this, which you, you know, you're gonna to have to decipher for yourself, or it truly may mean, I, I don't know. I don't, I, I don't know. know. <laughs> yeah. what, what do you, and, and then the other person, oh, what do you mean you don't know? Well, I, 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 don't, I don't know, I don't know what to tell you. So, you know, pulling out that color wheel, that emotions wheel, um, and, and you can purchase those, you can download them on the internet and even just have them when you're having those conversations. Well, do you feel good or bad? You know, how, and begin going a little bit deeper. Does this better describe that? And that vulnerability piece we know is we are known. And in order to increase satisfaction in all areas of our marriage, the, the better we know each other, the better we're able to empathize with the other person as they're sharing um not just that i feel bad but bad means scared or fearful or angry or hopeless or depressed 
or, you know, embarrassed, shamed. I felt somebody blamed me. There can be so many words that, again, do open up our vulnerability. Mm -hmm. And yet it's so critical to the other person truly being able to get us. Yes. I think that one of the most powerful questions comes from Mylan and Kay Yurkovich's book, How We Love. The question, when do you remember feeling like this before? They may not know what they feel, but they can often remember a time in their childhood that they had that same feeling. And maybe if they talk about that experience, they can kind of hone in on what it is that they are feeling. And then I think that a brilliant response, so oftentimes, if your mate is sharing something with you, is simply, is there anything that I can do for you to, you know, like, how can I comfort you? How can I comfort you? And, and I think that the phrase, is there anything we can do? Or is there anything I can do is kind of overused in our society. And people are like, I can't think of anything, but for you to just simply rephrase it, what could I do for you right now that would bring you some comfort or encouragement? Or what can I do for you right now to let you know that you're not alone? Sometimes when I have asked women that question at workshops or in the coaching setting, they might say, if you could hold my hand, or they might say, I could sure use a hug, or they might just look at me with a blank stare and tears form in their eyes. And they might say, no one has ever sincerely asked me that question before, which just shows how so many times people are, they live their whole lives without feeling much empathy at all. What do you think are some of the signs of empathy deficits? What, sure what does it, oh, Siri's trying to talk to me. <laughs> what, she what, doesn't understand. Siri, there <laughs> See, even don't. Siri, even Siri doesn't understand empathy. Like, duh. Um, when a person yeah, grows so up with a lack of empathy and then feels a lack of empathy in their marriage, feels a lack of empathy in their in the family they've created as an adult, maybe even feels a lack of empathy on the job that they work at. How does that translate? Uh, it, it feels, <laughs> it translates into very often shutting down. Um, and, and part of this may be because when we have had those few experiences um, for a person who can't be vulnerable, when, when they've taken the chance to do that, then they may be shamed and blamed. So why would we talk about how we feel? How would we, or why would we bother with that? And also they, the person listening to them may emote their own pain and relate too much to that. So, you know, thinking about, well, if I'm causing another person pain, then I'm certainly not going to keep doing this and sharing it. So just shutting, shutting that down, um, a, a, vulner, a vulnerability deficit, um, just not talking about those things, finding other ways to not be alone, maybe, because they're afraid of the conversations that might happen if things are quiet and we give that person opportunity. Um, not looking for ways to increase vulnerability. Mm -hmm. It sounds kind of funny, but one of the things um, John and I do, we live in an area where to get to a large town, we have to travel an hour and a half each way. 
And so um, we keep in touch very, very well through the day and through the week. So we, when we go out of town, a lot of times we've talked about all the things that we need to talk about. So we'll put on um, some type of a podcast or, or a training that I may happen to be going through or that he's going through. And as we're listening to that, um, and we're both therapists, so we're very interested in the same things, is that we will stop that. And, you know, John has, has stopped and said, wait a minute, did he just say, or did she just say, or, or I will stop it and, oh my goodness, you know, what about that? And that increases emotion. It increases vulnerability that lead to some amazing conversations that don't even have anything to do with what we're talking about or whatever is on the podcast. Mm -hmm. So um, we can increase it by, by finding simple opportunities. Again, you know, the little cards, that kind of thing. Maybe yeah. And that's a great exercise that it doesn't have to always be about your emotions or a mate, your mate's emotions. It could be just what you're watching on television, what you hear in a podcast or whatever. That That's a, yeah, of course, there are certain topics that maybe you should. <laughs> Only if you're on the same page, theologically, politically, <laughs> And yeah. maybe yeah, those can all be, maybe you're not ready for those. Yeah. <laughs> but um yeah, there's uh so many other questions that I want to ask you, but I, I do want to say, don't you think that it's a lack of empathy that often leads people to overeat, overshop, overuse alcohol, perhaps use drugs to numb the feelings that they don't feel safe sharing with other people? Yeah, absolutely. And and one of the issues with that is that if we're not feeling the hard stuff, we're also not going to feel the really great stuff. Oh, we, it's such a great point. We cannot tamp down and bury our emotions that don't feel good and expect to just live in love and light and total empathy and connection and romance and sexual satisfaction and all the things we can't pick and choose with. <laughs> we have to have a variety of those things. Right. And I think that every counselor would concur that repressed anger becomes depression. So if you're feeling depression, if you're feeling lethargy, if you're feeling a sense of hopelessness, a lack of empathy in your intimate relationship may be one of the core factors that you need to explore. Um, so Jana, I want to tell you one more thing that I heard recently, and then we'll wrap up this amazing conversation. I was watching a TikTok video recently, and I want to say that it had like 16,000 comments. And I only scrolled through just a few minutes of them to get the gist of it. But this woman was saying that middle-aged women are often making declarations that if anything happens to the husband that they currently have, they are not going to do marriage ever again, that they are not going to open themselves up to a man ever again. And it was just complaint after complaint after complaint from these women saying, I totally agree because blah, blah, blah. I totally agree because blah, blah, blah. Every once in a while, you would see a woman say, I have a great relationship with my husband. I actually think I would give marriage another try. Do you think that women who are so discouraged in their marriage relationship, or maybe who are already divorced or widowed and swear they would never do marriage again, do you think that there was most likely a lack of empathy at the root of discontent? 
Yes, I do. And I would love to see that TikTok because that, um, that's sad to me. It does, doesn't it break your heart? Yes. yes, it does. It does. And, you know, Shannon, if we are looking for those things where another person has just done us wrong, we're going to find them. Oh, we, we find whatever point, we look for. A somewhat humorous one is I, I'm working hard on organization. It's not my first language, so I have to work hard. And I went through the pantry, bought some tears, um, tears to put the cans on, and I just threw some Dollar Tree baskets in there and labeled them to make sure my system's going to work before I really invest. And my husband came in and he said, I, I like what you did with the cans. And I showed him how I labeled the bins, the little bins. And um, yeah, that's great. And he said, I, I'm going to try to keep it like this for you. And I said, okay, that's great. And um, it, it, the funny part is one of the bins is labeled snacks. And it has things like packages of peanut butter crackers, granola bars, that kind of thing. So instead of pulling out the little bin, grabbing what he needs and pushing it back, he pulls out the little bin, grabs what he needs and moves on. And, and I think... <laughs> So now it's in disarray. <laughs> Our bin is out of place. <laughs> and one is pulled out two inches. And I, th and I think, you know, I think, how hard is it to push that little bin back two inches? Apparently it's more than he's got time for in the morning. And I, I will tell him about this later because he'll get a big laugh out of it. Um, and I even took a picture of it and thought about sending it to our daughter saying, this is why we can't have nice things. But if I... <laughs> If I were so minded, and trust me, I have probably come unhinged over much smaller things than that. That could be one of those things. I'd be like, John Berkey, if you don't put that thing back every morning, we are really going to have a problem. Instead of just going in there on my way out of work and going, er, scooting it right back and thinking to myself, you know, if we get to live, live to be 100, I'll push the bin back for the man. It'll be just fine. And, and it'll be okay. <laughs> and, and, I, and we have to hope that when we leave the cap off the toothpaste or our hairbrush <laughs> on the counter, that he will just you know, do that little two inch movement to fix yes. what, you know, and that he will give us the same grace. It's so funny yes. that you mentioned that, Janet, because what I'm about to go do in town is to buy bins to organize my pantry and so the idea of going to dollar tree first and doing it the cheap way until i perfect the system that that's a tip worth holding on to <laughs> yes it is and you heard it here first charlie may not cooperate i don't well, know <laughs> that will not be a shocker by any stretch of imagination <laughs> <laughs> and it will be okay, right? It, 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 will, is, it, it is so true. Look for the ways that your mate, male or female, look for the ways that they do support you. Remind yes. yourself. And yeah, there are times that Charlie does not give me the response that I was hoping for, but then I have to say, yeah, but he did ask you to go for a drive two nights ago. Yeah, but he did say, what can I pick up from the grocery store? He did say, you you can do whatever you need to do let me do the dishes you cook like I think that little things like that are a way of showing empathy of I see how hard you're working or I see that you need to talk or let's look for the positive and that will translate into a positive emotional connection a positive intimate connection and hopefully a more positive sexual connection as it continues to evolve in that yes. direction. So Janet Berkey, thank you so much for sharing your research with us and just the amazing work that you do and the amazing person that you are. You've always been one of my 
favorite people to talk to because you fill my cup to overflow. Thank you. you have Same. that impact on people. Same girl, yeah. I guess. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Sexual Confidence on Tap with Shannon Etheridge and Friends. We love you for listening. And we thank you for tapping on us.